It's Valentine's Day, and many people are looking to maximize the power of the moment. Some will give flowers and chocolate. Others will plan an intimate dinner, while others will offer tangible gifts of love as visible reminders of the moment shared. But tomorrow, when the flowers have wilted, when the taste of dinner and chocolates are no longer fresh. When the shining beauty of those tangible gifts has dulled behind closed doors, will the power of the moment still be present in your relationship? How will you know? Will that power be strong enough to show up in your less than desirable communications? Will the strength of that power rise up in spite of your early morning tiredness? Will it challenge the demands of your day, or will it be shoved into a forgotten memory? Will you betray it and trade its value for the easily spent company of, of others? Well, here are some truths to consider: If you want your relationship to last, the power of the moment must be present in every moment of your relationship. Through genuine words of love, acts of kindness, unselfish giving, and the realization that the love you have is the love you have built, the love you are committed to protect, and most importantly, the love you want. Welcome to the Reach Higher Podcast. Quick nuggets of wisdom for happiness, efficiency. And meaningful living. Your thoughts need surgery, and I've got the scalpel. My name is Ryan Howard. So first, before I go forward, I want to say that the voice you just heard is an absolute expert in the realm of love and relationships. Dr. Miranda Howard is a licensed marriage and family therapist, is a professor at two universities, and has dealt literally hundreds of couples over the past three decades. So she has been able to identify the patterns and key factors that ultimately lead to the demise or success of a partnership. And oh yeah, I forgot to mention, that's my mom. <laughs> so I had the privilege of sitting down with her. And asking, what are the key insights that you could offer us, based upon your years of experience with psychology and relationship dynamics? I hope you guys are ready for some viewpoints and truths that you've never heard before, because if you really tune in, this can not only change your love relationship, but your relationship with yourself as well. So, let's do it. So, to all the lovers listening, to all the couples, and those who are simply lovers of love, happy Valentine's Day. But like my mom said, one of the most powerful traits of holidays, other than being a means for celebration, is their ability to bring our attention to something important. Whether it be a feeling, or an idea, or a concept. So, if we step back from the day itself. We see an entire society collectively focused on love and relationships, but it's ironic. These two concepts 
tend to be two of the most misunderstood, misused, and underappreciated sources of beauty in the human experience. Or rather, I should say, potential sources of beauty. Because there is so much greatness that we can derive from romantic relationships when they're done properly. But nowadays, a partnership seems more like a train wreck waiting to happen than a happily ever after. But why is that? Relationships are complex, no doubt. And they're hard, for sure. But we as humans are literally masters of adaptation. Since when is complexity or level of difficulty a legitimate reason for us to not master something that is necessary for our survival? It's because of the way society has taught us to perceive and approach relationships. We approach them entirely based off of feelings. Does this person make me feel good? Does it feel right? And of course, these are vital in building a partnership. But they are only such a tiny part of the equation. See, feelings are all about what benefits you, what you want, as if you were going into a business deal. So therein lies problem number one. People tend to go into relationships like a business, seeing how much they can get out of it or how much they can profit. But even multi-billionaire Tony Robbins says that even in business, that is the number one way to fail miserably. If you want your business to succeed, you must fall in love with your customer and set out to give so much crushing value that the return on investment you get is reflected in how much you contributed. We put all the focus on finding the right person, but we minimize the importance of being the right person. Partnerships grow when self-accountability is internalized by both parties. There is power in responsibility because responsibility is the ability to respond. Relationships come down to a combination of these four factors. Polarity, conditioning, priorities, and drivers. I know what many of you are probably thinking. As complex as relationships are, you're telling me that any influential factor can fall into one of those categories? Yes, because every problem, every issue has a deeper source. And one of the greatest insights that Dr. Howard told me during our interview is that the problem at hand is often not the core issue. It's merely the scrape on the surface, but it's not until deeper examination occurs that the real problem can be discovered and properly dealt with. So I'm going to break down each one of these categories one by one. And when we're finished, it'll be evident that love and partnerships are not just haphazard, unexplainable balls of chaos, but they are orderly, sensible, and scientific. There is a method to the madness. And in fact, it's not madness at all. It's beauty. But most people aren't bold enough to acknowledge that or accept that. Because when we know better, we have a responsibility to do better. You, however, are now part of the minority. Polarity. It is the key to passion. The invisible magnet that draws people toward one another. Have you ever wondered why you had a thing for this one particular person? Like, you had multiple options, 
But for some reason, your brain was like, yeah, I want them. <laughs> well, a very likely culprit could be your balance of masculine and feminine energies. No, I don't mean male or female. I mean that every one of us actually has both ma masculine and feminine energy within us. And one of the two is always dominant. You can be a man with predominantly feminine energy or a woman with more masculine. And again, this doesn't make you gay or straight or what have you. It references your innermost nature and values. So here's how that comes into play relationally. The more opposed the sexual energies between two people in a relationship are, the stronger the attraction. And interestingly, people are more likely to gravitate towards and enter into partnerships with people who convey the opposing energy. Pretty cool, right? But there is an aspect there to be taken into consideration. This is one reason authenticity is so important in romance. Because people can wear masks. They can pretend to embody the attribute of one energy in order to attract a mate. But when they reveal their truest essence, it becomes evident that they were not who they pretended to be. So the attraction and connectivity you imagined with this person was only actually possible with their false self. So both the one who was tricked and the one who did the tricking find themselves in a hole. Don't waste your energy lying or pretending to be someone you're not. The fires of reality will burn away your falsehood. So save yourself and your significant other by being true to yourself right out the gate. But just wait, we're not done with polarity yet. There is another aspect here that does relate to our gender. Research shows that evolution has hardwired us to do certain things and embody certain characteristics in order to ensure the survival of our species. But we don't realize that evolution is affecting our love and that it is also affecting how we respond in the bedroom. Yeah, guys, you seriously want to hear me out on this one. For the homies that are tuning into this, yo, you can thank me later. But check this out. Women are instinctively nurturers. In order to properly raise offspring and take care of their families, women have an innate ability to be caretakers, to take care of loved ones and be supportive emotionally. This is a beautiful thing, but it has a profound effect on sexual stimulation. In order for a woman to feel the apex of sexual stimulation towards her man, she must be momentarily free of the need to nurture. If she has to constantly take care of her man and coddle him, she can love him, but the sexual desire for him will dwindle. Relationship specialist Esther Peril was involved in research analyzing this topic. Women were asked, under what circumstances did they find themselves most drawn to their significant others sexually? The overwhelming answer was they were most drawn when their man was being independent, when they were exhibiting a passion or doing what they loved. The reason? Because when their partner was in, the, in that particular state, it freed the woman from her need to nurture. It freed her from that evolutionary inclination, if you will. So when the need to nurture was removed, 
it was replaced by pure, unadulterated sexual desire. Interesting. Now, on the flip side, men have been hardwired by, hardwired by evolution, too. Men are innately the pursuers. They are the ones who are conditioned to pursue their mates, ultimately to spread their seed and produce offspring. And so when men were asked the same question, under what circumstance did they find themselves most aroused by their partner? Their answer was this. Check it out. They felt most aroused when their female counterpart was the initiator, when she made the first move, when she became the hunter. Because this, like the reciprocal for women, freed the men from their innate need to pursue, resulting in overwhelming arousal. So understanding polarity will not only empower the love connection, but the bedroom sparks too. So if you want it to be like 4th of July in there, aka fireworks, you might want to replay that point. Okay, next. Conditioning. Conditioning is so important. Tell me how you were loved and I will tell you how you love today. Rather, tell me how you were loved as a child and I will tell you how you love today. I know that sounds crazy to some people, but psychology shows that the nature of our interaction during infancy and childhood manifests into how we orchestrate interactions later on in life and into adulthood. For example, were you raised for autonomy or were you raised for loyalty? Were you raised to have some level of loyalty towards other people or were you raised to do what's right for you? You should do what you want. Do what makes you happy. Make sure your needs are met. But when we take a look at this westernized concept in other cultures, we see that doing what you want is only spoken about in the context of how it will affect other people. Do what you want while maintaining awareness of how it is affecting others. I've got more questions about how you were raised. Were you allowed to express yourself? Could you cry out loud as a child? Were you touched and loved and coddled? What about dialogue? Were issues in the household addressed openly? Or was there always a veil of secrecy? Perhaps one of the most important questions is, did you or did you not feel security and safety during childhood? Many of those who do not, when they grew up, felt more in need of protection, for stability, for connection. Those who felt an overwhelming sense of security often grew up with more of a need for space, freedom, and adventure. All of us emerge from our personal histories needing one of these polarities more than the other. And the interesting part is, we tend to partner with someone who is on the other side. Finally, not to keep making this sexual, but tell me how you were loved and I'll tell you how you make love. Our emotional history is internalized inside of us. It is actually in and felt by our bodies. So understanding your past can be a major turning point in learning about yourself as well as your partner. So no, if you are raised in a certain way, it doesn't mean that you're screwed or stuck. It just gives you insight into why you are a certain way, and it can act as a springboard from which you can improve or coordinate better with your partner. Priorities. 
and drivers. Now I've saved these two for last because not only are they the most straightforward, but they are ultimately the two most important determining factors in the success or failure of a relationship. What matters to you most in what order and what motivates your actions? These are the bread and butter of any relationship. A couple can have the perfect balance of polarity, the most complementary conditioning, the greatest bedroom life, and still not make it if their priorities or motivations don't align. Dr. Howard emphasized that two of the first things you should set out to learn about a person is what they value and why they value them. A perfect example of this is when Tony Robbins describes the six human needs. I'm not going to go into them, but three of those needs are certainty, uncertainty, and prominence. One partner may value certainty over everything. They want to feel safe in the relationship. They want to know that they'll be protected. They won't be abandoned, that there will be a certain level of predictability to things. On the other hand, the other person may value uncertainty and prominence the most. No matter what, they want to know that they can experience a sense of adventure. They want things to be interesting and unpredictable. On top of that, they want to be as important as possible as often as possible. If those needs clashed, which they would often, it would become immensely unsettling for both parties. If those two don't prioritize their partner's needs above their own, then the outcome will look pretty gloomy. So being clear on a person's priorities is essential. And the same can be said about their motivators. Are they motivated by a desire to contribute, to add value, or are they motivated by the allure of personal gain? Are they motivated by a perceived enhancement of self by embarking in the relationship? The faster these things are known, the faster you can know if two people are an effective match. So I will leave you with this notion. It is one thing to see couples that are not dead. It is another thing to see couples that are alive. Quote, relationship expert Esther Peril. To be in the first group, it only requires you to be in the relationship. To be in the second group, it requires you to be present in it. To say that I will not sit on the sidelines of this love connection, I will be fully engaged. In that level of active engagement, that level of investment, that level of work, both internal and external, is a requirement that most are unwilling to participate in. So they settle for a partnership that is merely not dead. But if you want alive, if you want vibrant, if you want extraordinary, you've got to be 100% in, both you and your partner. But if the two of you can achieve that, if you are willing to meet each other at the center of that bridge, I assure you that there is beauty, there is power, and there is boundless capacity beyond your wildest dreams. One strong person can build a fort, but a strong couple utilizing their synergy can build an empire. So remember that. And happy Valentine's Day, y'all. So listen, you just heard the Reach Higher podcast. This was another step in reshaping your mind to live a better life. 
If you like this episode, like, share, and spread the word. Keep tuning in so we can keep reaching higher. Thanks, guys. Peace.